us to take that encouragement and that strength and that change and go out and change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Enjoying the weather? Yes, very much so. I need a little bit more light in the room. Be great. So, <clears throat> there it is. My Bible. So last night, um, I was talking to Nicole, and I said, uh, Nicole, we're, we're going to have to go to bed a little earlier than normal uh, because we're going to spring forward. And so uh, we, we talked about that a little bit, right? Are you going to sing another song? Oh. Oh, so you want me to end right now? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, <clears throat> so anyway, we did that little conversation, and, and Quinn was on the phone with a friend of his. I don't know which friend. He told me his name. I can't remember. Quinn has good friends. just don't remember the name. And so uh, I said, look, right now it's 1015, but because we are springing forward, that means that it's 11.15, so you have to think about that because you're playing this morning, and you're going to have to get up early, and you need your sleep, and <clears throat> he said, yeah, sure. And so he finished up his conversation, and we all went to bed, and this morning I woke up, and um, the first thing on my mind was, okay, I have to change all the clocks because some of the clocks in our house are not attached to the web or a phone or has that chip because... If anything ever goes south, I want something that's off the grid, right? <clears throat> and so I went into my kitchen, and the first thing I always change is the oven's time clock. And, and I looked at the clock, and I went, huh, it's the same time as it is right now. And then I looked on my, my Chick-fil-A clock and went, oh, it's the same time that it is now. And I know Nicole didn't change it because she's still, you know, getting ready to come. And so I, I got to think, well, maybe this isn't the weekend. And so I looked up the, the thing online, and lo and behold, next weekend is when we spring forward. Didn't even know. So Nicole, I come back in and I tell her, and I said, Nicole, we, it wasn't this weekend, it's next weekend. And she said, you know, I woke up refreshed. So we, we got an extra hour of sleep last night and, and didn't, even, didn't even know it. So, yeah, how, how much, yeah, amazing. So I, yeah, I guess next weekend we'll we'll try try all that again. I was hoping it was behind us, or maybe we'll just go ahead and move our our clocks forward an hour now, and just be done with it, you know, and live live a little differently than everybody else this week. So that means Wednesday night you'll have to come an hour early because I'll be here at seven. You know, how I'm saying. All right, we're in a series called uh, In the Meantime. And I was interested uh, in the last couple of, couple of days to read an article about Elon Musk and how uh, the Russians, of course, invaded Ukraine and took out their ability to be on the web. So Elon Musk came in and pressed a button and gave them internet. Now, I have no idea how that works. He's got satellites up in outer space, and I know that they connect to each other, and I understand that part of it, but I don't understand how all that 
takes place. But what I do understand is that he pressed a button and enabled something he had put in outer space so that they could have internet in their country, which is pretty remarkable. It's a pretty remarkable thing. My next thought about that was, how dangerous is that? That one person can press a button and determine which countries have internet and which countries don't have internet. And that's, that's a pretty powerful, that's a pretty powerful guy, right, to be able to do that. And so the reason I bring it up now is not because of the implications of all that or that I think it was great that he was able to do it, but then I don't know what's going to happen in the future with all that. The reason I bring it up is sometimes you and I go to God in prayer and we expect him to press a button and make everything okay. Whatever we lost, we, pray, he want, we want him to press a button and it all comes back, right? And it's just back to the way that it was and, and we didn't even miss it but just a couple of hours, But God, in his sovereignty, does not work that way. And so with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. We all know this psalm. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've heard it. Um, If you've been in church, you've heard it. If you had a grandmother, you heard it. You've, at least most people have used, uh, have heard Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 verse 1 says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a lot of funerals use that particular verse to talk about death, but that's not exactly what that verse is talking about here. It's talking about being in a valley where things aren't going well. And what this implies is That the Jesus who led you beside still waters is the same shepherd that led you into your current valley. And that sometimes doesn't really sit well. You mean Jesus would lead us into a valley where things will not be all sunshiny and nice all the time? And the answer to the question is yes. The shepherd leads you into the valley. He walks you into that valley. But we don't have to fear says here, because who's with us? The shepherd that led us there. I would like to tell you this morning, like some other people would tell you, that once you become a Christian, Jesus will always lead you beside the still waters and you'll be blessed the rest of your life with just peace and harmony and uh, campfires and kumbaya, but I cannot tell you that because Jesus doesn't work that way. Does Jesus lead you beside still waters? Absolutely. Does he lead you to greener pastures? Absolutely. But he also leads you into the valleys. I think it's interesting that if you've ever looked at a valley, there are green pastures in a valley. And there are still waters in a valley. So maybe what he's saying here is that God leads you everywhere in this life and he will lead you and it's possible to have peace even in your darkest moments. Maybe that's what 
he's trying to communicate. So Psalm 23, in the valley. So what do we do when we're in the valley and we've been led into the valley? What do we do? Well, the answer for that is in Habakkuk chapter 1, believe it or not. Habakkuk chapter 1, and we'll begin reading with verse 12. So what do we do? What do we do? And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, um, wow, what he does is he doesn't pretend that nothing bad has happened. Habakkuk doesn't. He decides to talk to God about the way things actually are. So if you remember from last week, Habakkuk has cried out to God and God has answered him that more violence is going to come to take care of the violence that he's praying about. So God has told him things are going to get worse. So Habakkuk, who knows he's in the valley, doesn't pretend that God didn't tell him that. And he doesn't pretend that everything is going to be great and everything is going to be fine. He doesn't pretend that way. Instead, he goes and he talks to God and he shares his heart with God. And this is what he says in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. I like the way that he starts this prayer. He's wrestling with what is happening, but he says some very significant things about God. The first thing that he says that pops out at me is that God is changeless. The latter part of verse 12, it says, And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Rock meaning, mm, you are changeless. A rock is changeless. So God is a rock. He's, he's a, a, just a rock that you can build your life on. He, he's solid. He's there, okay? The next thing that he says, are you not from everlasting to everlasting? So this is an everlasting rock that doesn't change. It is always there for you to grab a hold of. And so Habakkuk is grabbing a hold of that. He's, he's grabbing hold of an everlasting God, a God that doesn't change, and a God that is holy. The holiness is important here because um, Habakkuk realizes that God is using evil people to take care of the evil that he's praying for. And the evil is worse than the evil that he's praying about. So he grabs a hold of this fact that God is holy and he's just and he always does what's right. He's grappling with this, but he calls him holy. Then finally, in this verse, when it, we're talking about God, it says, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. So what he's saying there is, Lord, you're sovereign. You've made a choice. These are the people that you're using. And I'm grappling with it. You've established them for reproof. But I just need to talk to you about this just a little bit more. In verse 13, he says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler, and he brings all of them up with a hook, and he drags them out with his net, and he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. So Habakkuk is... He's relating God to a fisherman. 
a fisherman that has a net and goes back into the sea and drags in fish and chops them up and then goes back and gets more fish to chop them up. And those fish are no more once he has his net coming in. And he continues. Because that's what happens when God uses somebody that's evil. Verse 15, and he brings them all up with a hook and he drags them out with his net and he gathers them in his dragnet and he rejoices and is glad. And therefore he sacrifices his net and makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net? What Habakkuk is asking God is, you are using the Babylonians to take care of this evil, and you're going to use another evil nation to take care of their evil, and they're going to be more evil than the Babylonians. When does this all stop? Like, like when does the violence stop? When do you stop using violent people to take care of violence? When are you going to do that? And then the, the prayer ends. And, and for me, I, I wanted a little bit more. Like, I... I wanted a little bit more than what's there. I wanted him to maybe bring it to some other conclusion. It seems like the prayer is not finished here. It just stops, right? So why don't we have more? Well, I don't know. Habakkuk just didn't want to say anything else. And so what he did, after he prayed this prayer and he was very honest with God, he does something. And in verse Chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he stops his prayer and he says, I've, I've told God what I needed to tell him. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up on a watchtower and I'm going to watch to see how God is going to answer my prayer. Goes to a watchtower, going to watch to see how God is going to answer his prayer. And the first thing that we need to note from this passage is that when he goes to his watchtower to watch for God to answer his prayer, he is watching for God's answer to his prayer, not his answer to his prayer. Let me explain. I have Siri in my car, it's on my radio, and her, her and I, we have conversations from time to time. So if I'm driving down the road, she will tell me if I have a text, and she'll say, uh, um, Philip, would you like me to read your text? And I will say, yes. And then she will read the text to me. And then she will say, would you like to reply to the text? And normally, most of the time, I say no. Because when I talk to Siri, I don't know if it's because I'm Southern, my grammar is horrible, I don't pronounce things correctly, she never really gets it right, right? And so I tell her no, because I know whatever she's going to read back to me that I said is not going to be what I want to send to people. It would sometimes not make any sense, or, or it would use words that I don't even use. Not bad words, just words I would never use. Like, I don't use, why would you... Thought you were artificial intelligence. And so I would tell her no, and this is her response to me. She will say, Okay, what is your reply? I just told you no. 
and you're asking me what my reply is, she doesn't even listen. So this has led me to every now and then, just for fun, to say, Siri, what gender are you? Because I have a hypothesis about this whole deal. And so she'll respond by saying, I am genderless, like some fish in the water. And that is the problem. <laughs> that is the problem, right? So she, she doesn't really. And then I'll say, and then I'll ask her, I forget what I'll ask her. Oh, I'll, oh I forgot what i asked her. I really need her to tell me what I, what I asked her. It's probably what I need. What I think is interesting here is that I and her have this relationship and she's putting words in my mouth. Like, okay, well, how do you want to reply? Well, I just said no. Well, obviously you were wrong in your feelings and you really need to reply because I want you to reply to this text, right? Sometimes you and I pray a prayer to God and we have answered that prayer for God. In other words, we answer a prayer in the way that we think God would talk to us and what God would say to us. And then we get on our watchtower and we wait for that answer that we are actually putting words into his mouth. Is everybody tracking? And so we're looking for that. And what happens when we do that, when we put our answer into God's mouth, we miss his actual answer. Because it is seldom that his answer is going to be what we want it to be. What we have decided that it should be in our mind. His answers are always different. So we need to set aside the way we want God to answer our prayers. And listening for that. And we need to look for how God actually wants to answer those prayers and listen for that. Does that make sense? We don't put words into his um, mouth. Now, chapter 2, verse 1 says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, that particular last part of that, that verse, that my complaint actually means how I will answer him when he corrects me is how that should be translated. How I will answer him when he corrects me. You see, when you get on top of the watchtower and you're listening for God to answer you and you've set aside the way you want him to and you're just listening for his voice to tell you what he wants to tell you, you also need to listen for if God will correct the prayer that you prayed to him. Like not every prayer that you pray to him is the right thing to say to him. And maybe you have a concept about God that is incorrect. And so God will listen, and he sometimes will come back to an answer and answer you and say, hey, um, that's not exactly right, and I need to correct that particular part of your prayer. And so we learn from that. And so Habakkuk is saying, after I listen to his response, I'm first going to listen to see what I need to correct about my theology and my belief system, and I'm going to correct that, and I'm going to answer him and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't have the right sort of thought in that prayer. Thank you for correcting me on that. 
So I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my request, my complaint. Now, when you're on a watchtower, you're alone. I don't know if you know how watchtowers works, but, but generally, a person would be on a watchtower looking for stuff, and you're alone. So all distractions are gone. You don't have any distractions on top of that watchtower at all. And so when you're looking to hear what God needs to say to you from the prayer that you prayed, sometimes... You need to get alone and away from distractions so that you can hear what he has to say to you. I think sometimes we get way too distracted and we can't hear God because we're so distracted by a bunch of stuff. We can't hear it. Stuff happening everywhere. We've prayed. We're looking for him to answer, but we miss the answer because we're distracted. And here's a couple of distractions. First, Things to do. You ever get distracted by things to do? Yeah, I do. I do. We have a piano room in my house. My wife, she's had this piano since she was a teenager. It's in our house. We have the piano, and then I have, we have these two black chairs in the piano room, and they go like this. Right? And lean back. Right? You just sit there, and you can be quiet in that room, Right? Well, sometimes when I pray and, and I get finished praying and I'm, and I'm sitting in that chair and I'm waiting for, for God to speak back to me or, or tell me what to do or, or just have a moment of silence and just kind of sit in his presence, I finish praying and then all of a sudden I begin to think about things that need to be done, like the dishwasher, because I have an issue. I cannot stand for dirty dishes to be on the counter. I just cannot stand for that that to be there. And so if there's dirty dishes on the calendar, if it's on the, the counter, the counter, the counter. This is why Siri doesn't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> this right here is the issue. This is why she doesn't. Because I use different words that normal, yeah, okay, okay. So I can't stand for them to be on the counter. So if I'm in the piano room, the kitchen is right next door, and I know those dishes are there. So when it starts to get quiet in the room, my mind starts thinking about stuff I need to do in the house. And so I will find myself up emptying the dishwasher and loading the dishwasher, and I will be distracted from actually sitting there to hear if God will answer my prayer. Are you tracking? Now, you might say, well, Philip, God can talk to you anywhere. He can talk to you while you are doing that job. That's absolutely correct, but I guarantee you that you would hear him clearer if you would just sit still a little bit and not have something to do. I always have something to do. Even in the piano room, when Nicole does this little thing up here where she leads worship, there are sheet music everywhere. Like, it's just all over the piano. So what do I do? I take the music and I put it all together on the stand in a nice order right there, and then I sit back in my chair. Why can't I just sit in the chair and not mess with the papers that are on the piano? I can't do it. Like, that is a distraction. So things to do may be a distraction. It might be I, I finish praying, and, 
And man, I've got to do the laundry. I've got to get the kids out, of, out the door. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And your mind goes like this. And what you have to do in order to listen for God, God's answer to your prayer is you have to stop. And you have to make sure that the distractions are gone. So things to do. Here's another set of distractions. My emotions. My emotions can be very distracting. In fact, there's some people that have problems that they rant, they rant, they rant, they rant, they rant, they rave, they rant, they rave, they rant, they rave, and every time they relive it and do this, it gets louder and louder and louder, and you cannot hear God's answer to your request if you continue to rant and rave about the issue that is on your mind. Sometimes there are people that just need to shut up about their issue. Come on. They just need to be quiet. They're telling anybody and everybody, and they go on and on and on and on. And it's not because I don't care. I do care. If you would just be quiet, first of all, you wouldn't be so worked up about all this. Every time you tell somebody, you get worked up, but I just have to get it off my chest. No, you don't. It's like fuel for your fire. And every time you tell the story, you add to it. Right? Wow, you are looking at me. Maybe you're sitting next to the person I'm talking about. Maybe that's it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you've... People just keep talking, they add to the story, add to the story, and they add to the weight that's on their shoulder, and they just need to be quiet. It's amazing what happens if you quit talking about the bad situation in your life. It is amazing how your emotions begin to go down and level out. It's amazing how you look differently at something when you quit talking about that issue. You just quit doing it over, 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 over again. You just have to quit. Sometimes your ranting is distracting you. Next, your thoughts. You don't have distractions with your thoughts? Like, yeah, thank you, thank you. Now I feel like I'm connecting, right? I can be sitting in my piano room thinking about a ton of stuff I need to do. Like, I can be very disciplined and not go do them. Like, that's a distraction, so I'm not going to go do them. I'm not going to go do them. But I need to call such and such because they said this to me just the other day or sent me a text, and I need to respond here. And my mind starts doing all of this stuff that talking to me about things that I need to do, and it just goes and 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 goes, and I can't clear my mind out enough to watch for God's answer. So you have to quiet your mind in order to see God's answer come at you. You have to quiet down. Quit talking. Quit, quit having all these thoughts distract you from what God is trying to say. And then other people. Other people distract you. I have um, moments in my house where um, people say that they're leaving and they're not really leaving. Do you have that in your house? Do you ever have that? Like, do you have a person in your house that they say goodbye, but you know they're going to be back in in a minute because they forgot something? Do, does anybody have those people in their, in their house? 
Yeah, we, I have those people in my house. I'm not making fun of anybody because they need those stuff. And sometimes I forget stuff and have to go back in. Not making fun. But yeah, so you're, you're doing your devotions. Like they said goodbye. And so you, you open up your iPad. You're doing, you got your version app open. You're starting to read. You're like in the moment. You ever get in the moment reading the Bible? You're like in the moment. And like God is really speaking to your heart. It's really, really touching you right here. And you know, you know it's just about to all just go down, Right? You're going to have a moment. You and God are really going to connect, and it's going to be absolutely, absolutely amazing. Then, because steps are always louder in this moment, right? And a bottle is grabbed, or keys are done, and then they go back out the door, and you sit there, and you go, and sometimes you can get back to that moment, and sometimes you can't get back to the moment, but people are often a distraction. Look. It depends on how many kids are in your house, how often you will get distracted during your devotion and prayer time. I love children. Absolutely love children. But what children do is they make noise, and children should make noise. By the way, parents, children should move. They're not adults. They don't always sit still. They move. They, they talk. They laugh. They cry. They, they do things. In fact, I will tell you this. A church that does not have those sounds within it is a dying church. So those sounds are a blessing. So in your house, when you have children and you're trying to have quiet time, you have to figure out how to exit that environment in order to have your quiet time and then come back into it. Back when my kids were little, um, I would go into the garage, into the minivan, and sit there for my devotions and pray in the minivan, in my garage, in my house. And I'll put that together, right? And then I would get out of the minivan and go back into this, in, inside where all the activity was happening because our kids were always doing something in the house. And that's just what you have to do because kids can distract you from hearing what God has to say to your heart. And you have to do something about it. And when you are in the valley, Things are not going well. You have to figure out how to get alone with God and watch on your watchtower for what he wants to say to you. So distractions. Distractions often cause us not to hear God. I would encourage you to not let anger, doubt, or fear, or pain drown out what God wants to say to you. Don't let that happen. And too often we let anger distract us from what God is trying to tell, tell us and doubt and fear and pain because they can be very loud and God often whispers more than he speaks out loudly. So let's do this. For the next just moment or so, I want everybody in the room to be totally silent. Okay, here we go. That was very good. The first service had trouble with that a little bit. In fact, the first service, there, were, there was a, a couple of uh, phones that went off, ding, ding, ding. 
And then the air conditioning system started. The air conditioning system was already on, so we didn't even notice, notice that. But the air conditioning kicked on during that moment and all kinds of stuff that kicked on during that moment. Um, <laughs> I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, silence is my old friend. <laughs> silence is my old friend. Yeah, silence is my old friend. You know... I submit to you this morning that when you're on the watchtower and you're looking for God's answer, sometimes silence is his answer. Sometimes silence is his answer. Silence is sometimes the voice of God. Sometimes silence is the voice of God. I wrote this down and I'll read it to you. It's not, not something that should be in a book or anything like that. I just want to read you my thoughts about this silence thing. This is what I wrote down. You can listen to silence and learn from it. It has a quality and dimension all on its own. Silence talks to me. I can feel myself alive to it. I can hear silence. It has a strange and beautiful texture. It doesn't always talk. Sometimes it cries and you can hear the pain of the world in it. Silence. We need more silence in our lives. There's so many noises around us that silence is hard to get. It's hard to get to a place of silence. You see, one thing that silence does is it calms you down. It calms you down. When you're in the valley and when things aren't going well and when your soul is just mixed up and, and, and there's tension, that is the moment you really need silence. You need to go on your watchtower. You need to watch for God's answer. And you just need to be quiet. Quiet. Not saying anything. Just silent. And when you're silent, your emotions go down. There's a peace that comes with silence. There's a connection with God that comes with silence. And sometimes the answer to your prayer is God and his silence. And him speaking to you in that silence. And when I say speaking to you, it's not him talking to you because that wouldn't be silent. It's silence and connecting to the presence of God. Just sitting in his presence silently. You see, that, <clears throat> that is a step of faith, isn't it? That is a step of trust, isn't it? To sit in silence and just be good with the silence the way that you do that, the only way you do that is knowing that God has everything in his control and you do not. So when you pass off control to him, you are able to sit in his presence and be silent because he is holding the world together. He is making everything work out. He has a plan and you trust in his plan. It is silence. Silence.
some of us are so worked up about something because we have not practiced being silent on our watchtower in the presence of God. And we need to do that. It is not up to you to make things right. It's not up to you. Are there some things that you might have to do to make things right? Absolutely. But the way the day turns out and the way the next week turns out, really what you do is you follow God and you do the things that he wants you to do and you let him take care of the rest. And silence is a part of that. Silence means you quiet your mind, you quiet your soul, you quiet your presence in your valley. You are silent. You are silent. Um, sorry. I, I, I think that we, in our generation, in our time period, have trouble with silence. We have trouble with silence. Raise your hand if you, I'm not going to get on to you, so don't. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to make a point. How many of you brought your phone into the room today? Yep. Your phone is the reason that you can't have silence, one of the reasons. See, we, we need to get to where we put our phone here and we actually go places without our phone. And I know that in some of our hearts, you know, you know what I mean? Like, well, what if I have to look something up? What if Google needs to give me an answer? You know, what if I get that ever important life-changing text and I miss out on it? I don't hear the ding. I don't hear the thing. I, I just miss out on it. And I'm here to tell you, you need to get rid of your phone for a little while. I'm not saying throw it away. Look, I love tech. I have a watch that's connected to my phone. And when my phone is at my house, my watch is still connected to where it receives stuff. Every now and then, this watch comes off my arm and I place it in my closet, in my house, so that I can disconnect from tech. See, we don't need to wait for a war to get off the grid. You and I as believers need to get off the grid so that we can be silent in the presence of God and hear what he has to say to us. It's not just phones. It's not just iPads. It's TV. It's what you listen to. It's, it's the books you have. It's whatever takes you away, whatever fills your mind, whatever fills your moment and causes you to not be able to be silent in the presence of God and look for his answer from your watchtower. Is everybody with me on this? We have to figure out how to disconnect. So sometimes we need to lay that thing down here and go somewhere without it. I do joke sometimes at lunchtime. It seems like every time I leave my 
phone here on the charger and I go get lunch, somebody in my family has a crisis. Right? But it's still worth it. I mean, I'm not saying I don't want to be there for the crisis. But it's still worth it to let go of whatever it is that is taking up residence in your soul and causing you not to be quiet in some moment. Silence is a good thing. We live in a world where we are constantly entertained. Constantly entertained. I had a little kid, love her to death, absolutely love her to death. She came up to me and told me, I'm bored. I said, I've never been bored a day in my life. Never been bored a day in my life. And maybe, maybe what we all need is a good dose of being bored. Maybe what we all need is just a good dose of not doing something and being silent so that we can hear God and what he has to say. Is everybody trying? I know I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm continuing on this point. I know it. But it's so important for a just to be silent. We are so afraid of silence. So afraid of it. But it is so good for the soul. So good for the soul. Now, I'm going I'm to wrap this up with this last thing. This is actually part of next week's sermon. But I need, these verses are, but I need to do this particular verse in chapter 2. And it's verse 4. This is God's answer that Habakkuk was looking for. And in verse 4, it says this. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And then this phrase right here. But the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. Now, we've been studying the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night, and it's online if you want to watch those. The whole book of Hebrews is about living by faith. And the thing about living by faith is that you cannot live by faith unless you trust God. Trusting God means that you're living by faith. If you're not trusting God, you're not living by faith. In fact, I might put it to you this way. What you trust in What you trust in is what you are faithful to. What you trust in is what you're faithful to. If you trust in the news media, that's what you're faithful to. If you trust in your relationships, that's what you're faithful to. If you trust in yourself to take care of problems, that's what you're you're faithful to. But when you trust in God, you are faithful to him, which leads me to these last couple of statements. When you wait, you trust in God, and trusting is living by faith. When you wait on the watchtower, watching for his answer, when you really want it to come quicker, when you really want God to do the Elon Musk and press a button, you wait and you trust, and that is living by faith. Next, trust says God will answer and I will watch for what he says. That is faithful living. Faith is sitting on the watchtower, trusting is sitting on the watchtower and knowing that God will answer, you're just waiting for him to do so. You know he's going to do it. You're just waiting for it. You're waiting for it in silence, 
without distractions. And then this is one I didn't come up with. Trust in God says, I would rather sink than swim without it. I would rather sink with trust in God than swim without it. That is living by faith. Now, that was bound to happen. I don't know if you've noticed the whole time. I've been hitting this little, little bench the whole time. Okay. Let me, let me get these. Drop the floor. Very nice. It's amazing to me that God even uses... Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. It's amazing to me. Okay. Here's some very powerful words to end this all up with. John chapter 10 says this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Good words. And then finally, Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the state you've given us. Thank you for this message.